From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Let's talk about Russell Wilson for a moment. What is it that makes Russell Wilson so unflappable? What is it that makes him such a great athlete, even in these high-pressure situations? I think a, a large part of the reason is the man you're about to meet, Trevor Mowad, who is his, what, what would you consider yourself, his uh, mental conditioning coach, strategic advisor? Yeah, that's kind of how we've been uh, termed, Dave, sort of the, the, the mental coach, mental conditioning consultant for us, you bet. Now, how did you establish yourself as his mental conditioning coach? Well, ironically, I'm born and raised in Lakewood, Washington. After going to school in L.A., I worked out for many years at uh, IMG Academy, a big sports facility in, in Bradenton, Florida, where I was the director of mental conditioning. And mental conditioning, uh, in, in that capacity, really works on helping maximize sort of your mind's ability to perform at its highest level. And we had many of the best athletes from around the world come there. And Russell, uh, after he graduated from the University of Wisconsin, came down to Bradenton, Florida to get ready for the draft with 35 other guys. And uh, I was overseeing that process, and we developed a relationship then. And uh, over the course of his career, we've uh, stayed locked in, and I try to get up as often as I can to meet with Russ. Um, we have a, a, a B2C business called Limitless Minds based in Seattle that helps uh, corporations and companies think like Russell. But, but that's how I got established, really helping him get ready for the NFL draft was where we first uh, crossed ways. A lot of people, of course, want to know what Russell Wilson's secret is. Um, I want to know what your secret is first, though. Your dad, Bob Moad, was one of the leaders of the self-esteem movement. I mean, you 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 grew up with this uh, this positive self-talk formula, did you not? I definitely grew up with a lot of the education, and uh, the company my dad was involved with early in the '70s was the Pacific Institute, based up in Seattle, and then Edge Learning Institute, based down in Tacoma. Um, and then involved, he was one of the first authors in Chicken Soup for the Soul, and it was yeah. an incredible way to grow up, um, you know, to be honest, Dave. But I think really what I've found out in the world of sports is some of the things that drive the self-help industry, like the power of positive thinking and meditating and mindfulness, those aren't things that we really focus on in sports. It takes what it takes, takes you through the idea that learning how to be less negative is actually much more powerful than trying to be more positive and, and really focusing on learning how to be neutral. And, and Russell's an incredible neutral thinker. I think positive thinking for many people is difficult, Dave, because you, you know something didn't happen and it, it went poorly and you're trying to make yourself pretend it's going to be better. But instead of focusing on the next outcome, focus on the next behavior. You have three bad quarters. You've thrown four interceptions. You own that. But the next seven minutes are going to be based on what you do, not what you did. Yeah, and that is the deceptively simple theme of this book. It takes what it takes, uh, how to gain control of your life. Now, uh, I think I think that's that was the surprise to me in in reading this that you yeah. you broke away from your dad's philosophy of positive thinking because most people come to realize, hey, this is we're not talking about magic here. Uh, you can't wish away the past, and so you acknowledge that and talk about this this concept of neutral thinking. So, uh let's bring up this situation that you that you referred to. Let's say uh you know it's what third and 15. Russell's just yep. been sacked. Uh the crowd is really unhappy. What goes through his mind? How how does this neutral thinking work 
in one of those situations. Yeah, so at that moment you have decisions to make where you can look at the crowd, you can engage the crowd, you can do things that are going to easily distract you, or you can go back to what is your formula to play well. So Russ usually picks a point in the stadium he's going to go back to and he's going to look at it, which brings him back to zero. And you're not going to hear him say any negative things about what just happened. It's going to be how do we, on this third and 15, execute. So for him, he focuses a lot of times on three things, playing with great balance, playing with great fundamentals, and being engaged. So he's going to focus on how do I get the call in from the play caller, uh, from Coach Schottenheimer, how do I communicate it, and then what are the things I need to do right now to help us move the chains on this third and 15 knowing that that's all I control. What happened is over. What will happen hasn't happened yet. What's happening now is in my control. Russ does an incredible job. I think the second thing, Dave, is language. You know, when we say something out loud, it's ten times more powerful than when we think it. And if it's negative, it's four to seven times more powerful. So when I say stupid things out loud, I increase the probability that they're going to happen by 40 to 70 times. Hmm. You're never going to catch Russell saying anything negative out loud. And I think that implies to whether I work at Starbucks or Microsoft or I work in the business or I work at Quest Field, um, you know, am I focusing on what allows me to succeed or am I focusing on success itself? That explains his news conferences. You never hear him say anything negative out loud in those news conferences, sometimes to the frustration of reporters, but that's deliberate. Yep. Now let's take this out of football because you point out this system can be used in a variety of situations, and, and frankly some of it surprised me. Um, this is on page 95. You're talking about a kid who grew up in a bad neighborhood and blames the neighborhood, or he blames being black or being, uh, being gay or being female or being male. How do you handle that kind of thinking? Well, when we wanted to study the idea of influence, how much influence do you as a parent or a coach or a leader have over your employee um, versus the influence they have over themselves? My own influence over me is 10 times more powerful than your ability to affect me. So what that means is no matter what environment I've been raised in, no matter what my circumstances have been, um, you know, I can't blame those as much as I blame the decisions and the opportunities I'm going to make next about my future. So if an athlete makes it to the University of Georgia, regardless of his or her circumstances, it's a series of they made it. They may have had coaches, parents, that did an, and teachers that did a great job helping them, but they had to do it. And if they haven't made it, it's also from things they didn't do. So when you start to own that your success or failure is in your hands, then you put yourself in a position to really dictate your future. But there are studies, and I've talked to the people who've conducted them, which find that if you grow up in a rough neighborhood, you actually end up with a, with a form of, of PTSD. These are studies that imply that you really don't have a choice. What do you think about that? Well, I think, you know, when you're in those environments, there's no question that you are surrounded by more opportunities to go the wrong way, so you have to navigate but it's a matter of how are you letting that influence you. Some people in post-traumatic environments say that as much as there's post-traumatic stress, there's also post-traumatic growth. How do you use those environments to grow and to focus more significantly to find your way through it, get that scholarship, get that unique opportunity? I'm not saying it makes it easy. I'm saying that your own belief about how you're going to get through it is the most powerful influencer. So all these programs that we focus on poor neighborhoods and hopes of uh, sending in outside people to lift somebody up, is that 
Is that a waste of money? I don't think it's a waste of money. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you're educating people. You're giving people tools that ultimately they have to use. So taking away those tools isn't going to make it better. Having more tools can only help. But ultimately, my point is it's up to the person to decide when they're going to use those tools. Yeah. Now explain this. You avoid country music, and you tell Russell to avoid country music. Why do you avoid country music? Yeah, well, we talk about the consumption of negativity in any form. What I listen to, what I watch, um, what I consume. And, you know, there are unique studies out there now that, that if I watch, you know, three minutes of, you know, the nightly news, it could increase my probability by 27%. I'll say I had a bad day. Um, it's just a matter of the, if negativity is 70 times more powerful, I've got to be very careful how I consume it. I was raised, my dad just said, you know, country music is great, but it's so negative that, you know, we don't want to have that really dictating our internal ad campaign. So I just am really mindful of the music I listen to because it has a powerful impact. And Russell's the same way. And we just educate you. That doesn't mean you can't listen to it. But if you're going through a divorce or a tough challenge and you're listening <laughs> to sad music, you're going to be influenced negatively. It's going to be harder for you to move forward. Now, the most disturbing part of your book to me was when you, you were trying to deliberately uh, test your philosophy by deliberately exposing yourself to a lot of negative stuff to see exactly what it would do. And based on your description, it was pretty devastating. But at one point you say you listen to news radio at one point to torture yourself. So my question to you is, what because that's where I work, right? What yeah. could, what could we do? What what could we not do? I guess so that we avoid being that thing that makes people so angry. I think people need to get information, and they uh, and they need to know what's going on in the world. I just think you know how you consume that information and how much you consume of it. You got to be careful with. So for me, when I'm consuming you know negative music, negative negative news, which is constantly talking about what's not going right. That's what I was listening to. I think there's a lot of news that has a really good balance. You know, I've obviously been born and raised in Washington, so I'm familiar with Cairo. I think you guys do a great job. Um, but, but I really think it's just a matter of how much do you listen to. Do I need to listen to eight hours of it? Probably not. Do I need to listen to enough to, so I know the traffic and I know the weather and have a good understanding of what's going on in the world? Yes, balance with some other things. I think what, where people really struggle with that is they've lost that balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's times when even I have to turn off my favorite cable news channel because I can feel myself saying, I'm not, I'm not feeling very happy, at which point I go to, to uh, Turner Classic Movies and just put on an old movie from, like, 1934. At the end of the day, you market to yourself every day. You're, you're responsible for your own success. And what you listen to, what you say out loud, what you consume, what you watch, all those things influence your ability to perform. Athletes in the world I live in are very careful with that because if they don't perform well, they're gone. You only play at the Seattle Seahawks based on performance, so you have to monitor the things that are driving that performance. Something else you mentioned in the book is that with the proper training, you can control your injuries. I often wondered whether, whether there are certain players who are just flat-out injury-prone or, or if it's just bad luck. How does Russell Wilson avoid being injured? Well, I think it's less about what he does to avoid being injured, more about what he does to stay healthy. And in addition to the Seahawks having their own performance team, strength coaches and speed coaches and all those things, 
Russell has a whole performance team around him, physical therapists, uh, massage therapists, uh, chef, yoga specialist, uh, speed and, you know, a physical coach, mental coach. He's got all these things proactively that are keeping his body fresh, flexible, adaptable. Because the, the more we know that we've prepared and we've done everything we can physiologically, the more we trust our bodies implicitly. So I think that that makes a big difference when you know I'm ready for this moment as opposed to, man, I haven't slept or my body's tight or anything along those lines. So your mindset is your confidence comes from knowing that you've done what you needed to do. Yeah. Now you coach a lot of players, and I'm curious to know what what happens when, you know, two players you've coached go up against each other. Only one of them can win, right? Yeah. Normally I've done a good job of kind of diversifying that over the years where – I'm not really, you know, I've certainly had players play against each other. We can help everybody. The information we're sharing is not proprietary in the sense that people who want to get better, you know, no matter what color or what team, what environment they come from, we're going to help. So uh, I've got a lot of athletes across a lot of sports, a lot of business people, a lot across a, a lot of businesses that, that compete, but they're ultimately trying to be get to their own next level. All right, let's talk about um... – the part where you expose some of your own difficulties with, with following this uh, lifestyle. You talk about your own divorce, where at one point yeah. it seemed like your commitment to the, to the job got in the way of your marriage. And I, and I get the feeling from reading this book that, that to follow this neutral thinking philosophy, you have to, I mean, this has to be something you do every moment. Um, is there a way to strike a balance there so that you can also have a, uh, a, a personal life in addition to being a top-rate athlete. Yeah, I mean, I think when I looked back at that and when I looked back at what happened, you know, having a great significant other and, and the things that went wrong, first of all, I wanted people who are reading the book to understand that I'm no different than anybody. I'm, I'm subject to the same realities. And that also means if, if I don't nurture a relationship or take care of it or do the things that you need to do uh, to communicate and, and optimize it, then mine's going to struggle. And I think the combination of traveling and, and not really staying engaged enough you know, had a huge impact on me, and I have a lot of regrets about that. So what I'm trying to do is control making sure that I'm different going forward. Our behavior is so far ahead of our success. Before Russell was a great quarterback at Seattle or Wisconsin or NC State, he was doing the things that, that great performers do. I think to be married, there's a way we can have a good relationship, and it's simple things. You know, being a great communicator is being engaged. It means if I'm in a hotel room, I'm not watching TV and looking at my phone while I'm talking to my significant other. The TV's off, and I'm engaged in that conversation, asking about the family or whatever's going on. And that's why I think neutral thinking relates to everything far beyond just being an exceptional player for the Seattle Seahawks. So there it is, the concept of neutral thinking. It sounds uh, really simple, but uh, it clearly works. Trevor's book is called It Takes What It Takes, How to Think Neutrally and Gain Control of Your Life with a foreword by Russell Wilson. And I'll leave you with um, one of the quotes here. Pressure is good because when you're under pressure, it means someone gives a bleep about what you do. Trevor, thank you very much. You bet. My pleasure. Have a great day, Dave. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's morning news, you can say, not only that, I heard the part 
that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.